got a couple instructions for you this morning. I'm Andy Beatty, by the way, if any of you did not know that, um, but want to welcome you. If we have any guests, you're, you are uh, part of the family this morning, so you, you feel welcomed. Um, just a couple quick things that we want to mention to you. Um, just going to throw this one out there. Parents' Night is coming up on October the 6th. You'll be hearing more about that, but put it on your calendar. Start making plans, men, if you want to take your wife out. Uh, bring the kids by, and we'll... Uh, We'll take care of them while you do that. Um, Kingdom Basics, last night, uh, last Sunday night, was a great evening. Uh, Amy did an uh, excellent job on worship and leading us into some worship that uh, may be a little different than we're used to, but uh, hopefully that will spill over into our Sunday mornings uh, as we uh, worship Him and know, know who we're worshiping and how to worship God on a, on a full-time basis, not just here on Sunday mornings. But... Uh, the one I wanted to focus on uh, today uh, is a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Pastor Charles gave you an opportunity to give uh, to some widows and to some folks in Kenya. And um, that money that was given was sent. There's been some more that's collected since then, so we're going to be sending that. So we want to give you one more week of opportunities to give toward that. And they're scrolling some pictures right now of... Um, the lady in the pink shirt on the picture that's up right now. Um, I was going to uh, read her email if I can find that real quick. Her name is Rosalind, and she is there in Kenya, and she is administering that money that we are giving to the widows and the widowers, widowers there. So I uh, just wanted to read the email that she sent back to Pastor Charles after that first money was sent. It said... Um, she said, get this where I can see it. Dear Pastor Burleson, sincere thanks, smiles, and thanksgiving.
to Jehovah Jireh for September groceries provision for uh, Chulamabo Village widowers and widower. We have added a blind widow and three grandchildren. Your donation enabled us to purchase green grams, sugar, cooking oil, salt, and will cover three months of supplies and see the photos attached. Those photos should be scrolling. So um, these widows are getting uh, their needed groceries because of your giving. And what we can give is great in that country. Uh, so I encourage you, if it's just $5, if it's $10 to give, there's several ways you can do that. You can drop a check uh, or fill out an offering envelope and just mark on there and make sure it says Kenya on the memo line or on the envelope. You can drop it in the box at the back. Um, you can put cash in an envelope if you would rather do cash. And you can also give online. There's a drop down on the online giving where you can give to Kenya. So that will be there through this week where you can give. Just want to encourage you to do that. Um, just ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you an amount. Uh, I know that we are blessed here in this country. Sometimes we throw away way more than it would take to feed many people there. So um, let's, just, um, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to, to give us an amount and, uh, and support that if you can. So uh, with that, I think that's it for this morning. Amy, you come on back up, and uh, we'll let you guys continue the worship. Let's just go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask you to uh, be here in our midst. We know that you're here. You said we're two or three gathered together in your name, and that's what we've done this morning. So Holy Spirit, show up this morning. Help us to worship you freely in freedom and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Let's go ahead and stand. Um, you're going to find a common theme pretty quickly in the songs today that tie right into the message that uh, Brother Michael is going to bring to us. So after that first song, if you're like, I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't even know what that means, and I'm not even sure how to become a child of God. You're going to have the opportunity. You're going to learn, and you're going to have the opportunity to become a child of God today. And we'll talk about that more as we move forward. But what I want us to do right now is I want us to begin to boldly declare who we are in Jesus Christ, our identity in Him as we sing. Let's make bold declarations. All right, who you say I am? Yes, sir. 
says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So if you're asking that question this morning, am I a child of God? Are you led by the Spirit of God? If so, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His very own children. And now we call Him what? Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are His children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And that last song, you remember that verse that said, and should this life bring suffering? This life will bring suffering. Because it says if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Unravel me with the melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave.
And I'm no longer slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God What a beautiful sound to hear the children of God sing to their Father If you want to know you know, when you look across a room like this, there's a lot of people that have got dad wounds, father wounds. Maybe you lost your dad to death and you felt like abandoned. Maybe you've been rejected by your father. Maybe you never knew your father. And that makes it difficult to, to trust a father that you cannot see. But he is good, he is faithful, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And the way to have him as your father, it says in John 1, 12, I'm gonna read it, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So it's believing, it's receiving. We were born not of blood, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And Father, I pray today that people God, who are living in that and being controlled by and tormented by that spirit of rejection or abandonment or that orphan spirit, God, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing to their soul and that you would give them this spirit of adoption by which they can cry out, Abba, Father. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. I love good Father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are.
It's in you and it's in you alone that we are who we are. That we're called by your name. That we rest in the provision and the protection and the love of our good, good Father.
like a sword and that your truth would be our foundation not the lies we hear or tell ourselves but your truth alone in Jesus name amen hold on don't sit down yet don't sit down yet grab the screen back there. We are doing 50 weeks in the Word, uh, and that is why we are standing together. If you are new or a guest, haven't seen this before, this is something that we're trying to do this year, and it's been awesome. Each week, we are, uh, those of us that are committed to it, it's voluntary, but we're reading a chapter every day that week. We're memorizing a verse together and then we're having a Bible study, which is in the Fellowship Hall Wednesdays at 6.30. Uh, if you have not signed up to participate, that is fine, but it has been awesome and you are missing out. Just know that. Uh, so this is the verse for the week. It's 1 Corinthians 12.11. And if you have not memorized it, that is okay. You can look it up on your phone really quick, but I'm going to pull it off the screen in a minute and we're going to recite it together. So it's like the last chance to take a look. It's a short one. And we'll say it together. All right. I think we're back. Okay, now you can sit down. Welcome, welcome. My name is Michael Bovey. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm one of the leaders here at Faith, and I am subbing in today. Normally, uh, we have Charles Burleson preaching, but Pastor Charles is teaching at a conference this weekend in Oklahoma. So I'm excited to hear uh, what God has been doing there uh, from what I've heard so far. It's pretty awesome, and I'm sure we will hear more. Uh, but we're continuing in our series Faith dogmatics. Faith dogmatics. Uh, dogmatics is usually kind of comes off with a, a negative term, um, but w- really it's just our beliefs, faith uh, beliefs. Um, and these really go back to the overall church. If you've heard the word dogma before, it's probably in some sort of negative religious con- 
context. Uh, you know, don't be so dogmatic about that or whatever. And really, we adhere to all of the dogmas or the beliefs that the church has held for the last 2,000 years. And that, those fundamentals that you, you find throughout Scripture that make us all believers, we might uh, disagree with a lot of things with other believers around the area, but we can unite around the central stuff, around the gospel, around Jesus. And so those are dogmas, those central things that make Christians Christian, right? We uh, believing in Jesus. Those are core to the, the faith as a whole. And what we're talking about in this series is then drilling down into that. What are kind of some of the core things that make faith a little bit more unique, that don't, don't differ, they don't disagree with those things, but let's drill down a little bit more than just kind of the central things we all agree on. But in the central things we all agree on, um, wanted to touch on this a little bit differently. Historically, those are summarized in what we call creeds, okay? And those are uh, uh, something that goes back not just even in Christianity, but before that, um, and you see it in Judaism too. And so it's those core things we agree on. So in the early church that started, the earliest one, popular one, is the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed, or the Athanasian Creed. But you can see them in the Bible too. So actually, even in the Old Testament, like I said, the Shema could be called a creed. That is back in Deuteronomy 6, where uh, Moses is talking to Israel, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the most important command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And that kind of comes back to the fundamentals. And then Jesus takes that kind of core creed, that core belief, and he says, yeah, and that goes together with loving your neighbor as yourself. And those together, that's kind of the core statement, core belief. And then we see Paul reciting what look like early church creeds, even, even before what we see with the Apostles' Creed. In 1 Corinthians, Philippians, 1 Timothy, he's, he's laying down, here's what I received. Here's the foundation of the gospel. Here are things that we don't want to miss and we all need to be rooted in. And then he's got trustworthy sayings he passes on to his disciples. So Paul brings up guys like Timothy and Titus and Silas, who then he sends out and he says, all right, plant churches, raise up elders. Here's how churches should go. And he, he tells Timothy and Titus, uh, I think there's five trustworthy sayings. Hey, these are, these are kind of core teachings. Like pass this on to the people there as you're establishing the church. So for us, I want to do something a little bit different. We can unite on all those things. I want to read that together. The Apostles' Creed. This is kind of the foundation. Whatever church you see, if they agree on this, we can kind of agree on the fundamentals of the gospel and welcome each other as believers. So the Apostles' Creed, let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, and was buried. He descended to hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, and so this is, this is, you know, perhaps the oldest creed that we, we call a creed. And I should note, Holy Catholic Church, it predates what we now would call the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. It predates that, and it just means the church universal. Um, so they kind of stole that <laughs> in, in the name. Um, but this was the foundation. These creeds were agreed upon, and they actually came about as teachings to make sure we weren't getting too far outside of what the Bible says, of what God says about himself. And so that's how these creeds come. Why they kind of started was basically going, okay, the Holy Spirit's leading us, and you see, wait a minute, somebody's saying something way out in left field, and they're getting off base here. Do, is that true? Do we agree on that? And, and leaders would get together and say, okay, wait a minute, what, what does the Bible say? What is God leading. You can actually see this in the book of Acts, what we call the Jerusalem Council. And the, when God takes the gospel out through Peter out to the Gentiles, and we have uh, Gentiles being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit, and them saying, okay, well, wait, can that happen? Well, yes, it can. And it's in line with this and God's promises. And they say, was good to the spirit and to us, here's what we're coming out with. And so when we talk about dogmas and faith dogmatics, we're talking about things that we can agree on and that we're focusing on here. And we're in week five of that. And so I wanna recap, because they build, they all kind of go together. And so faith dogmatics, number one and two, if you haven't uh, heard these or you weren't here, go back and listen to them online. You can get the full, full scoop here, but we're just going to recap them very briefly. Faith Church believes that the world is a supernatural place. So pretty key to the Bible. <laughs> we believe that there's more than you can see, that God created the world, that you can't necessarily see that. You can't see what he is doing all the time. We believe in that supernatural place. That's a foundation. And we believe that Jesus, when he came when he was baptized, it inaugurated the kingdom of God. So when he began his earthly ministry, he was baptized, the spirit of God came upon him, and he went about preaching, the kingdom of God is here, right? And so we believe that that is foundational, and further, that when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the authoritative rule and reign of Jesus, and that's over the people of God, the people in that kingdom, over a place, over a mission. So when we talk about us being the church now, we're talking about being the people living in the kingdom of God. Oh, one more key note there. It is a re not yet, already but not yet reality. So Jesus inaugurated the kingdom 
but hugely important. The kingdom is not fully, fully realized. And uh, the New Testament's gonna say it kind of this way. Jesus is king, but right now, we don't see all things put in subjection to him. That's, that's the language that the New Testament uses to say that already, but not yet. And we know that because we see sin in the world and he is not fully ruling and reigning over everything. He is ruling and reigning over his people and he is growing his kingdom. So that brings us to the next one. As Jesus preached, as he inaugurated his kingdom and he said, the good news the kingdom is here. He brought that with teaching about what that kingdom is uh, and with uh, a different type of teaching where people would recognize, wow, he doesn't teach like the normal teachers. He teaches with authority. And he demonstrated that authority by casting out demons, by healing the sick. So he, he taught about the kingdom of God and about his authority but he didn't just speak it, he backed it up. And he showed he has authority over the supernatural world by casting out demons and saying, nope, this isn't your kingdom anymore. I've got all power and all authority. And he demonstrated his authority and his power over the physical world by bringing healing to people in the present even though it wasn't fully realized, we still have sickness and we still have death and we will until he comes again. But faith dogmatic number four, faith church believes that we are called to do what Jesus did and display the kingdom of God in our own lives and in the world. And so when we say that, Jesus was inaugurated, he inaugurated his kingdom when the spirit came upon him at his baptism that same spirit is then given to believers. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that empowered Jesus in his ministry empowers you, and Jesus says, go do what I have been doing. Go preach the kingdom. Go cast out demons. Go heal the sick. And so it's displaying the kingdom of God in our lives in the world. Okay, so as we do, as we continue the same works that Jesus did, we come to what we're talking about today, identity. Who are you? I'm, quick show of hands. This is going to be like the age test. How many of you just in your head heard, who, 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 who? Come on. Admit it. Okay, so there's like a line. So it's somewhere around age 40 or so right here where basically if you just like saw people with hands up, it's like, yeah, okay. You're old enough to know who the who are, <laughs> you know? Perhaps just a fan of CSI. I know that, you know, you, okay, you're hearing that. Uh, but man, I have the who, I've had the who stuck in my head for two weeks. Getting ready for this. <laughs> anyway. Uh, just feel for me a little bit with that, although I do, I do like the who. Uh, when we get to identity, we're talking about who are you. This is a core piece of faith dogmatics. This is a core piece of what we believe. It's important to recognize who you are. You could almost say whose you are, 
is, the, is important. Um, but in terms of living that out, when we look at those faith dogmatics we just talked about, we just talked about all four, and they were kind of building up from this kind of supernatural world, this broad brushstrokes thing to, okay, here's who Jesus is, and here's what his ministry was like, and then he's calling us to the same thing, and it leads into really important piece. Wait a minute, where's that coming from? Who, who, who are we? And there's a temptation when we do that to come, come to things, to, to come to any story really, and think about, yeah, what if that was me? Like, if you're ever reading a book and you get really into it, if you're like me, I'm reading something and, and there's somebody fighting this crazy battle and I go, oh yeah, I would totally get in there. Or like the classic you know, Bible story thing, you know, David and Goliath. And it's like, yeah, if I was David, I wouldn't be like his brothers there, like all scared and whimpering away. You know, I'm, I'm gonna be like David, like, come on, let's go, Goliath, right? Probably not, <laughs> realistically, you know, probably not. I'm, I'm maybe like, hey, Luke, you look big. Maybe you, maybe you could take this guy. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably the more realistic me in the story piece. But that whole temptation, I'm not saying that there's not a place for that, of, of kind of seeing ourselves in the story. That's not the point of that story, though. So we have to keep that kind of in the frame of mind. It's like, no, we're supposed to see God working in that through David and the faith that he had. And then we're supposed to see, even more now, hindsight, we're supposed to see Jesus. Just like David steps up and he defeats Goliath, Jesus steps up and he defeats sin and death. And go, whoa, okay. That's kind of the point. We read Jesus into those protagonist roles, not ourselves. And then we have the right framework, right? Thinking about that focus on God. So we need to keep that focus as we come to talk about identity. When we talk about identity, at the core, your identity is who you believe yourself to be. And what you think about yourself, like those thoughts rolling through your head, often on repeat, that becomes who you are. That's a really subjective thing, right? And that can change kind of all the time. That's a problem. <laughs> and we can see that as a problem. You've experienced it yourself. When we look in our culture and you see the mental health issues in our day, people confused about who they are, people struggling, people not thinking that they're worth being around. That's this problem. That's this problem. And so this is a really important thing to get right and to keep that framework of, wait a minute, this is the focus on God's story that we're building up through, not ours. We're not the protagonist. Those thoughts, we tend to form our identity on two main things. Those thoughts that are rolling in your, in your head, they tend to come from two main things. Your track record, what you do, and what others say about us. Track record in life, that can look different for everybody. It might be how successful are you? How much money do you make? What are you driving? 
what's, what's parked out in the parking lot? How do you look on Instagram? <laughs> really? It might be your work. If you're anything like me, there's a temptation to have success at work define you. Say, I'm going to get that promotion or I'm going to get, you know, get that glory at work and be known, you know, be the best at, at what I'm doing. And there is a good thing in work. God created that. He created us for it. But that can become part of our identity. That can form those thoughts. And it can go either way. Hey, look how great I am. Or it can go the other way. Ah, I'm just a failure. I can't do this at all. Actually, when we look at this, a lot of times, and that doing, as we're coming up, it comes down to sports and how, you're, how successful you're in that. All four of my kids play sports. We had three games yesterday, and you know, all three of my boys play soccer, get so into it, and that is one of the biggest concerns that I have. Can I be real? And they're, they're here. We've talked about this stuff. When they get so into it, it's, oh, man. Yeah, I'm just a soccer player. I, that's just who I am. Ooh. Like, as a dad, well, okay. That's great that you're a soccer player, but that's, that's not all. Like, that's not who you are, right? Be careful. We, listening to Charles' message last week, if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. This is one of the things that like just stood out to me. I was like, Charles, come on. You know I'm preaching on identity next week. What are you doing? He, he used an analogy, if you were here, and he talked about Steph Curry. And he talked about how kids want to be like Steph Curry, this great basketball player. And if you want to be like Steph Curry, a great basketball player, you got to do what he did. Kind of like, hey, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to follow and do what he did. Great analogy. All analogies fall short. And in, importantly, Charles said, hey, you can't look at Steph Curry for that kid. You can't look at Steph Curry and not see the basketball player piece. His primary identity is basketball player. And I was like, nope. His primary identity is not basketball player. Steph Curry professes to be a, a Christian. His primary identity is believer, is child of God, is all, what God is saying he is. And when he, Steph Curry follows that temptation to believe, I am a basketball player, that is all I am, like we see with other athletes, why does Tom Brady keep trying to come back every season? You know, it's like, is that going to happen again this year? You know, there was thoughts all the way up to that. Because you don't know what to do. When you don't know who you are anymore, when that gets taken away, identity can very easily become what we do. And it can also be what others say about us. Maybe that message you've been hearing, Amy talking about father wounds. Man, that hits me as a dad. 
what do I say that's discouraging my kids? That's not true. What did you hear growing up? Oh, man. Some of those messages are not just lies. They're evil. You are worthless. No. God says, you are worth my son. We need to hear what God's saying, not what others say. So on the faith dogmatic side, we believe that you are not who you say you are. You are not those recurring thoughts in your head. You are who God says you are. You must root yourself in what God says about your identity to live out the kingdom on earth. Said another way, if those thoughts that are going through your head, if that kind of drives who you believe yourself to be, which is where you find your identity, then you need to get those thoughts going through your head on a regular basis. Those thoughts need to be in line with God's thoughts. They need to be in line with what God says about you. Otherwise, you're going to be finding your identity somewhere else. So summarizing the importance of identity as a faith dogmatic, Faith Church believes that knowing and walking in your identity in Christ is vital to an abundant walk with Jesus. Faith Church believes that knowing and walking in your identity in Christ is vital to an abundant walk with Jesus. All right. So what's your identity in Christ? <laughs> Get to the important part. Saying, okay, we know this is crucial. We know it's not focused all on just us. And we need to be coming from what God says. So what does he say? What does he say? First, actually, first, I should say, there's a whole lot here. He says a lot. <laughs> and I'm not going to get it all. I can't. I can't. Uh, more came through a series. Even then, it's not all of it. But a whole series on identity uh, we went through over a year ago now. And then recapped in, in authority as believers. Go listen to those, find those messages. But just know, we're going to quickly go through, through these things, and it's not going to be all comprehensive, and there is more. And that's something for you to dive into. I challenge you to be looking at that. So God says you are an image bearer. Being an image bearer reminds us that God made us humans. He made us unique above all other creatures. This is an important one because this applies to all people. This is not just believers. This is the only one we're going to talk about today. This is every human on the planet was made in the image of God. And importantly, this is the source of, if you ask any uh, uh, philosopher or ethics professor, this is the source of human ethics and morality. Humans are made in the image of God. In Genesis 1 starts at the beginning. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. He's going back in his image. But we don't always treat each other as made in the image of God, do we? James points that out. We see it in the New Testament too talking about the power of our tongues and how we don't always use it appropriately with that same tongue, right? We bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Ouch. 
And if you think, yeah, those people, that curse, they use those bad words and swear words. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the, the language, although, hey, don't use filthy language. Like that's a, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how you treat each other. He's talking about literally cursing people. This is a thing where if you don't think you do it, think a little harder and ask, ask the Lord to maybe show you if you do. Or let's take a look at maybe your social media feed together. Right? Let's ride in a car together for long enough until somebody cuts you off and see <laughs> how, you, how you talk then, right? Or if the news is on and you see what's going on or what leaders are doing and the decisions they're making, what do you really think about that? What are you telling your TV? <laughs> Intriguing conversations we, we probably shouldn't sit in on, right? The point is, what James is saying here is there is inherent value, respect, and authority given to humans in God's image, and we should treat each other accordingly, right? So hugely important, you are an image bearer. Think about that not just for yourself, but how you interact with the world, whether you like the people or not. All right. Moving along, you are a child of God. You are a loved and valued child of God. And Amy was right here with me. She did not know this was, was coming up on the screen. Romans 8. I, and I have to just say, I think Romans 8, go, can I encourage you all? Go home and read Romans 8. This chapter is so phenomenal and covers so much, but particularly in identity here, throughout it. Romans 8, 15 through 17, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I think this could be like a sermon series in and of itself. There's a lot packed into just this one little passage. But man, you are a child of God. When you see that little kid fall down and scrape his knee, and then the dad pick him up and hold him, and put the Band-Aid on, crying out, Daddy, right? That's you. You're the child in that. That's, that's a faint little picture of our ability to cry out for him and for him to just swoop in and take care of us. Being God's child speaks to the nearness and the intimacy we have with God the care he has for us, the, t the tenderness that he shows us as a father. And also, if you're a child, then an heir, right? The inheritance we have hope of. There is so much there. What does it mean to be an heir of God? But man, think about, think about Luke 15, think about the prodigal son. 
Think about your kids or passing on from, from your parents receiving an inheritance and a father saying to his kids, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. He is bringing us into his family. And we have that hope of the fullness of that, of eternal life and of, of everything. All that I have is yours, is what he's saying to us. And as proof, he's given the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to bear witness in you as a believer. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit is a deposit of that future hope of everything. So you're already received a little bit of the inheritance. Okay. I have to go faster, I think. <laughs> so uh, not only are you a child of God, you are a holy one. See in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know you're God's temple? The spirit dwells in you. When we talk about holy, we're talking about God. Holiness is unique to him. Completely separate, completely different. We have um, previously talked about this. A, a good summary is holiness is the power, the presence, and the purity of God. It's a, a good, quick way to think about it biblically. And you are a holy one. You are holy because he is holy and he dwells in you. You are literally the house of God. There's no more temple. That's why the temple was built. It was the house of God. This church building, like we can refer to it that way. This, this is not the house of God. You are the house of God. We collectively, believers, are the house of God. And that's how it's talked about in the New Testament. And that makes you holy. So living as a holy one means living by the Holy Spirit inside of you. Again, Romans 8. Check that one out. If you live according to the flesh, it is death. So if you're, if you're not following the spirit, if you're following kind of the way of the world or the way that you're tempted to go, that is death. But to live according to the spirit is life and peace because the spirit dwells in us. Same thing, Galatians 5. You house God and that's what living by the spirit is. And he contrasts, Paul contrasts in Galatians 5. What does it look like then? Living according to the flesh, living in the world versus living by the spirit. Even more, you are a friend. Man, Jesus calls you friend. He says in John 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And this is coming out of earlier in John 15, where we talk about abiding. How are you a friend? You abide in Jesus. So that's what living as a friend means. Think about any friend that you have ever had in your life. How are they a friend? You spend time with them. You do things with them. That's how being a friend works, right? That's exactly the same thing with Jesus. And that's what he's saying. His abide in me. Do life with me. And doing what he commands in loving one another. And it's not hard if you're a friend and calling up, right? All right, overcomer. You are not just a friend. You can overcome things that drag you down in the world. In Christ, you can overcome anything. 
1 John 5, 4 through 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Or again, Romans 8 at the end, talking about who's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Death isn't even going to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's his conclusion. Because you've overcome the world through Jesus, you don't need to fear anything. Hebrews 13 is going to say it this way. What can man do to me? Right? You don't have anything to fear because you have overcome the world through Jesus. And we are ambassadors. You're an ambassador representing Christ in this world. 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Or in the ancient world, um, we should know, ambassadors are a little differently now. Like sometimes it feel like it's, it's kind of like, the, oh yeah, we'll appoint this person over there. And, but you know, really, they're not necessarily calling the shots. You can send a quick email or a text or a phone call or whatever. The ambassador doesn't have to necessarily figure things out on their own, even though they might be located in a different country. Same general idea of representation. But back then, it was even more so. It was a stronger sense of representation. You're not going to just make a phone call and be like, hey, wait, what, what do we do here? It's No, you're entrusted as an ambassador to fully represent the kingdom, the empire that you're representing. That's us. And when we move forward in the right direction with that, when we represent Christ, when we say, no, this is how God loves, he backs us up. Uh, so when we speak rightly of God and his power, he will back us up. Mark 16, just like Jesus in his ministry, when the disciples went out, when after Jesus is, is uh, ascended, they went out and preached everywhere and while the Lord worked through them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So the Lord is going to back up our representation of him. Or in Hebrews 2, how shall we escape if we neglected such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, right? So we talked about that. That was one of the dogmatics. It was attested to us, including us now, um, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Sounds a lot like that 1 Corinthians 12 memory verse from this morning, right? Those signs and wonders, those gifts of the Holy Spirit back up what God has saying, what God has promised. So that's pretty cool. We're ambassadors. We are partners as well. Really similar to the ambassadorship, but part of that uh, backing us up with signs and wonders, God's actually here doing it with us. So that's the nice thing on the ambassador side. It's like, no, you don't have the phone to pick up and, and call, but you do have the spirit <laughs> actually dwelling with you. And he's partnering with you in the work. So again, Mark 16, where he partnered with them, or 2 Corinthians 6, working together, right? Or Paul's gonna say, you know, it was God working through me, right? We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. See, our identity is not in the works that we do. 
Even, even miracles, even if it's, wow, okay, God healed this person through me. That's amazing. Where we have to be careful and where you see a lot of ugly things in the church is abusing that and becoming, look what I did. And that turns off a lot of people to the truth when people take on the identity or the power as their own. That's not what we're doing. Our identity is not in the works that we do. Even if they're good works, they're in the one who works in and through us. All right. So now backwards, we'll, we'll do uh, the passage for today, Acts 4. We're going to see in Acts 4 the idea, just kind of like, how's this, how's this working out? How's this lived out? Here's an example. I love the book of Acts because for us here and now, we should be able to read the book of Acts and go, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. God, that's what you're doing. Okay, that's helpful <laughs> in a practical way, right? So Acts 4 through 7 through 14, this is um, Peter and John. They were, uh, uh, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to all the believers and they have started spreading the word and Peter and John are going to the temple one day and there's a crippled man and he's reaching out and they look at him and realize God wants to do something here and they say, I think we have something for you here. And this crippled man gets healed and it's amazing. And it causes everybody to praise God and rejoice. No, it causes them to get arrested, basically. It really upsets people. And so they have been drugged before the religious leaders of the day. This might be a little scary. Just a couple months after Jesus was similarly drugged before the religious leaders of the day, right? Same guys. And this is Peter and John. So when the religious leaders, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, i.e. healing him, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when the, the leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized they'd been with Jesus, but seeing the man who is healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is the word of the Lord. So quickly in this text, how do we see their identity play out? Well, we see them living in their identity. We see them living by the spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, he's not relying on what he thinks. He's not relying on what Jesus has even taught him. 
He's relying on the spirit in that moment and explaining we're doing what God put in front of us to do. And this man was not healed by us. It's not me. I'm not the healer. I don't have the power. It's Jesus. Right? He's, he's calling them back and he's calling them to Jesus. Now, who did the leaders think they were? The leaders, the world saw them as uneducated common men. You should be trembling in your boots. Right? You should be so scared right now. You don't know what you're talking about. We're the ones in charge. We have the power and the authority. You don't know what you're talking about. But that's not who Peter was anymore. What I think is so interesting in this is that there's a huge difference in Peter and John here that we can see. Luke's gospel is the first part. Luke wrote Luke and Acts as a two-parter to the same person. And in the gospel, Luke talks about Peter and he talks about the followers of Jesus. And as Jesus is living out his identity, you see the disciples living out their identity before they were filled with the Spirit. And it wasn't always good. In fact, it mostly never was, right? This is Peter who Jesus literally called Satan. <laughs> he says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. This is John who is trying to, to battle it out to be able to sit next to Jesus' throne ahead of all the other disciples. A little ambitious. You think he was finding his identity in works? Yeah? He also... He goes, oh, wow, we have this amazing power, Jesus. We're performing miracles. Hey, those guys are rejecting you. You want me to call down fire from heaven? Like, what? <laughs> How do you get from what Jesus is talking about? And he's like, man, yeah, I've got I've to pour my life out for everyone to, like, Nope, you can never do that, Lord. You know, get behind me, Satan, and let's just kill them all. <laughs> like, whoa, okay. That's old identity, though. That's where these guys were at. You can see it in Luke. Same guy writing is the one who writes this story. And Luke is showing what happened here. Pentecost happened. They received the deposit of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus says, go empowers them, and they live by the Spirit as changed people. That's, that's what the Spirit of God does. He literally changes our identity. I sometimes nerd out and want to think about, like, the science of that. Like, is there some way we could do, like, DNA experiments, like, before and after or something, you know? I don't know. Uh, somebody smarter than me, figure that out. That would be cool. Um, but that leads us to, that leads us to, we see that big difference. So what are the big questions for us? What are we hearing in our heads? What are those thoughts that are recurring, that are making us say something about who we are? Who do you say that you are as opposed to God?
And what lie do you tend to believe about your identity? For most of us, I, th I think it tends to be a pattern. I think it tends to be certain things that either the enemy is, attacks you with, it's like your weak spot, or it's that thing that, oh man, you can see it's different people. Like, is, is it my pride? Probably. Or is it just this, that message and, and thinking, man, we might look at it and, and think of it as humility sometimes, but it's not. It's this lie of your worthlessness. That's not humility. It's not. Humility is thinking rightly about yourself and in comparison of God, right? So what lie do you hear with that? That's what we need to work through this morning. And what do we need to set aside? Do we need to, like John, set aside the ambition of sitting, you know, beating out the other disciples so he and his brother, you know, they can be the top two next to Jesus? Hey, mom, will you take Jesus aside? Get us, get us those top two seats. What do we need to set aside to embrace what God says about who we are and those truths? Before we close, um, I'd actually like to, to ask Pam if she would share briefly uh, a story about that. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you were here last Sunday night, but um, Amy had taught on holy worship. It was an amazing, amazing evening, and God had, I had a, a, a moment with the Lord and shared what, with the group what God had done that night and how he brought some healing to me um, regarding the death of our son. And Amy Farron came to me and said, um, I saw something, and she shared a vision with me of what God showed her about the death of our son. And it was just amazing. And I thought, I would like to have Erica paint that for me because she's an artist. And um, the Lord revealed to me the next day, that Monday, I said, I'm going to the art guild. I'm going to let Erica do it because she has the gift of art. And God said, no, you're going to paint it. So... Um, the next morning, I got up, and I got my room ready. I'm administrative. That's the gift that I have. I get things in order, and I have a plan of how that works and how it's going to look and, and what I need to do. So I got everything out, set up my art room, and then that Tuesday afternoon, I got in there. And when I paint, I paint in the Spirit prophetically. I listen to what the Lord is saying, and I have to lay aside my thoughts of how I want to do it, my thoughts of what I should do and not do. And it's very, um, it's very freeing, but it also can be very difficult if you're a controlling person. You want to control everything apart uh, in that part of what you're doing. And I have to lay that aside and be vulnerable and just listen. And in the prophetic, he will tell me, Use this brush, use this color, do this, do that. 
And I just have to be obedient with each step of what he's calling me to do. And then when he says it's finished, I step back and there's an amazing painting. But it's not me, it's him doing it in me. Yeah, that's a great example of what it looks like to say, all right, Lord, I kind of heard something there. How would I be tempted to paint something? Well, okay, I know here's all the tools and I'm going to go through the steps, but that's not what God wants to do. Living by the spirit of going, okay, sometimes that means putting myself aside or in Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. At the end, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Those two things go together. Living by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit coming out in us, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all of those things come out as we lay ourselves aside, as we crucify our flesh with its passions and desires, and we, we open up to him and say, God, who do you say that I am? What do you want to do? How do you want to use me? And we all walk in that differently from day to day, and there are good days and bad days. And you might have days like I had this week, and I'm in this stuff of going, man, but no, but I got to get this stuff done at work and this is what I'm supposed to do. And then my day's falling apart and I'm not getting things done and I'm frustrated with my kids and my son is losing his soccer jersey and I'm trying to look for it and get all the things done. And instead of living by the spirit moment by moment, I'm going, no, I got to control this. And I'm yelling at him and trying to figure out like, where are we going? What do we need to get done? And this and this, check all the things off the list. And man, it is not easy to do <laughs> what Pam just shared. But it is something that we are called to grow in, in our identity in Christ. So the band is going to come up and, and we're going to close out. But I want to close out a little differently today, maybe, if I can get the slide to move. which I can't. Will you move it one more, Andy? Sorry, one more after that. This. I'd like us all to stand together and let's just spend a minute affirming who God says that we are. And it's so much more. Take a minute, take a breath, put your hand over your heart, and read with me. My heavenly Father loves me. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. 
we did not earn this. We did not deserve this. Your love for us. Your sacrifice. Your spirit dwelling in us, leading us gently and humbly. Father, would by your grace, by your spirit, would you lead us? Would you root us firmly in our identity in you? And would you work through the people of Faith Church to grow your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. Perfect to know. 